This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Hardwood Knox Podcast. My name is Dan Favalli, coming at you with my super-duper, incredibly esteemed, awesome times awesome, fantabulous, spectaculario, only really kind of sort of maybe lukewarm on the Kyle Corver to the Jazz trade co-host Andrew D. Bailey. Before we jump in to what we consider a very fun and exciting podcast, I just want to remind, implore, beg, plead everyone to continue rating, reviewing, and subscribing to us on iTunes. We really appreciate it when we see those numbers goes up. And when you do subscribe and rate us, please leave a review as well. We love reading those. A lot of people have talked about how great this podcast is for stats, and we totally agree. But if you have some people who really aren't into numbers, we think we do fill that type of discussion as well. I'm at least nonsense, nonsensical and uh, Andy as well sometimes. We are for everyone, so so don't pigeonhole us. Just continue to get the word out there with us. We'd really appreciate it. And of course, you can find us wherever else you listen to your podcasts. We are going to do our quarter poll report cards, part one of the Western Conference, going in reverse alphabetical order, something we decided late last night as we record this early on a Thursday morning because Utah traded for Kyle Korver, sending two second-round picks to the Cleveland Cavaliers along with Alec Burks's expiring contract. Um, before we dive into our impressions and our grade of the Jazz, we do have to ask, though, because we'd be remiss if we didn't. Andy, how are you doing? Doing all right. Um, I was pretty stoked when I saw the Woj bomb that said uh, the Jazz have traded for Kyle Korver. I was, um, I won't say not stoked, but maybe just a little bit confused when the entire package came through. I guess they weren't going to keep Alec Burks anyway, so it makes sense to get some kind of value for him. Um, but I just, I'm not sure it fixes the issues that the Jazz have been dealing with. I know that I've I've harped about the fact that they have no shooting, so this should help. Uh, but they still only have two shooters, if you think about it. Unless Donovan Mitchell figures things out and Ricky Rubio magically has another like crazy second half run like he did last season, shooting is still going to be an issue for this team. Um, th- this is probably my longest ever answer to the how you doing question um, because I'm just diving right into this Kyle Korver trade. What did you think about it? Well, I kind of have a follow-up question first that's not related to this. During the our little Thanksgiving hiatus or post-Thanksgiving hiatus, did you get any Cinnabons and chili? Oh, yeah, absolutely. That is uh, – I still need to try that. Is that – I have, have we ever established whether – Andy told me this, I think, like two years ago that he has this. Uh, and Is it like a Wyoming thing? Like it just seems like such a bizarre combination. I think it's a Wyoming thing because my wife said she's never had it until she married into our family too, so – um, but now she's, I think she's hooked on it too. One of these years you got to make the trek to Wyoming for the Christmas tree, huh? 
Yeah, I gotta come cut down the Bailey family Christmas tree with you guys, and then have some cinnabuns and chili. That's on. You the... gotta cut down the Favalli family Christmas tree, and then figure out how to get it back to New York. I can't cut down trees because I'm like deathly allergic. So my wife is already just resigned to having fake trees every single year. That's that's fair. <laughs> um, so the Kyle Corver trade, I agree with you. It it kind of stinks that they flipped Alec Burks just because he was. Overall on the season, their second best shooter behind Joe Ingles. At the same time, for me, he he's just not a great shooter, or at least not a reliable shooter in my eyes within this sure. system. He's someone who's still going to deviate from Utah's offense, which you hate anyway. But Kyle Korver is going to play more in the system, more off the ball. And Burks was shooting 22.2% over his last 10 games. Maybe he was going to improve. That is unbelievably low. But the Jazz are dead last in catch-and-shoot three-point percentage this year. They're shooting 31% on those looks. I, Kyle Korver's going to help that. He's shooting roughly one zillion point two percent on catch-and-shoot threes for the roughly one trillionth consecutive year. And I don't think—it doesn't solve all their offensive problems. It doesn't even come close because they do need another shot creator— at least a dependable one. And maybe that's where you miss Alec Burks the most because you can trust him off the dribble more than some of the other guys outside Donovan Mitchell. At the same time, if he's not hitting his shots, if he's not going to be an elite shot creator anyway, you might as well plug one of your voids with someone like Corver. Yeah, I think that's all true. Um, another thing that kind of worries me is if I had these pieces, um, you would think just a simple Donovan Mitchell, Rudy Gobert pick and roll with Ingles and Corver on either side spacing would make sense. Um, but I feel like the offense is going to continue to overthink things. Um, mm-hmm. I, he'll still probably get plenty of open looks. The Jazz get a ton of open threes. I think I think some of that is by design, just by the fact that teams leave Ricky Rubio completely alone. They're not going to do that with Corver, um, and they don't really do that with Ingles. So at least having one other guy that people have to pay attention to at the three-point line should help, um, not just to raise the three-point percentage of the team, but to create a little bit more space, uh, it'll just, I'm just really curious to see how he's utilized. Um, I'm, I'm sure we'll continue to get the favors go bare starting lineup. So we'll, it'll probably take too long to get to the right players still. So um, this is still just, as is the case with any trade, it's just sort of a wait and see thing right now. The uh, Oh, and this was peak NBA Twitter, by the way, about this trade. If we want to delve into it a little bit for the Cavaliers, I think, Cleveland did well just to have Alec Burks. He's older, but he's an expiring contract. So you got out of, you took on money this year, but get out of Kyle Korver's partial guarantee or entire salary if you kept him for next year. He wasn't happy there anyway. And then just the analysis of the two second round picks was peak NBA Twitter with people delving into how valuable that 2021 Washington Wizards second round pick could be, which theoretically I get if they dismantled everything by then. But it was just, it was super funny to sort of see that. I know you were also, when we were talking right after it happened, were a little bit concerned about Utah's defense with Corver on the floor. Have you thought about it more to where you're just, you think that the Jazz can hold serve with him on the court, or is that something that still really bothers you? I don't, I don't know if he's. <laughs> I'm sorry, that was like the greatest sound effect ever. Uh, I should do that more often. I don't know if he's that much worse than Alec Burks defensively. Um, Burks is obviously a little bit more gifted physically as a defender, but he falls asleep off the ball a lot. Um, 
I think Corver will always be engaged, but teams are going to try to attack him in isolations. That the nice thing about Utah, obviously, is they've got Rudy Gobert in the back who can cover up some of that, but he's already having to deal with way too many blow-bys. Like Ricky Rubio gets blown by very routinely, so he's he's just constantly under attack. So adding one more guy who lets people buy on the perimeter could be troublesome, but I, I think the trade-off is probably going to be a positive one. Um, I'm not sure it's a huge positive overall, but I, I do think this just slightly moves the needle for uh, Utah. In terms of Cleveland, um, <laughs> I agree with you. Uh, trying to hype up a second-round pick, regardless of where it lands, is I mean, it's it's still going to be a second-round pick. Um, and then I've I've actually heard from a few people floated out that Alec Burks um, he can't be traded for sixty days, but that's still going to be before the trade deadline. And a lot of people think he's going to get moved again. Yeah, they should use him and some of their other money to try and get to take on like Harrison Barnes or Chandler Parsons from the Mavericks or Grizzlies to see what they're giving up. Yeah, exactly. Maybe they can squeeze one or two more assets um, out of these. They've got some movable deals. We've talked about Utah's movable deals a lot on this podcast, but they've got now Alec Burks is expiring. Uh, George Hill is only guaranteed for a million next year. I think J.R. Smith is guaranteed for a small amount next year. So they've got some movable pieces, too. They could be an interesting seller at the deadline. The J.R. Smith-Alec Burks package is super interesting because you look at it as J.R. Smith is a little bit under $4 million next year. And if you're trying to get off some money, you know, what would the Grizzlies Grizzlies be willing to include to lop off Chandler Parsons' money? Um, Do the Mavericks, are they just fine having Harrison Barnes, who I would guess picks up his player option for next season, though some people have speculated maybe he opts out for a longer-term deal? Uh, The Jazz might not be done here either. They still have some nice expirings of their own. You have Epe Udo. Uh, Udo, what the hell? I just really butchered that. FK Udo, you have his expiring. You have Tom, Tabo Cephalosha. Um, you have Ricky Rubio, who's owed almost $15 million, and he hasn't played well, but if it's expiring money. So you can still pull off that Tim Hardaway Jr. trade if you're Utah, and, and that would certainly help address your, your shot creation issues. He's shooting more than 40% on pull-up threes. And as from the Knicks perspective, we've talked, it's weird that we're talking about Tim Hardaway Jr. as a potential asset to the Jazz, but you've come around on it. And I was against Utah kind of compromising its cap space, but one, they could still probably get to with Corver and Hardaway on the books next year, about 12 to 15 million in cap space realistically. And two, if they're playing like this, where they're not, where they're almost a fringe playoff contender rather than a fringe championship contender, I'm not sure how much they appeal to free agents anyway. Yeah, um, and and just the fact that they're in one of these smaller markets always makes it a little bit of an uphill battle for free agency too. So I'm I'm all on board if, with uh, if you're going to get you're, if you're going to improve this roster, it's going to have to be through the draft and through the trade market. Um, and right now, they should be emphasizing the trade market. So let's get to the quarter poll grades and more. Since we're going in reverse alphabetical order, we will be starting with Utah. Uh, their vitals. At the moment, according to Cleaning the Glass, they're 27th, which uh, for people who don't know, Cleaning Glass does filter out garbage time, which I find interesting and probably a more accurate portrait of where teams stand. Utah ranks 27th in offensive efficiency, 7th in defensive efficiency, 18th in net rating, and they're two games under 500 as we are doing this. Uh, I'm looking at your grade for them and laughing. I kind of gave them, I think kind of, I gave them a C just because 
their shooting is a problem and their offense is just bizarre. And you've talked to me a lot about Quinn Snyder's rotations and I'm all for them, maybe even starting game smaller, or at least breaking up the favors, Ricky Rubio, Rudy Gobert trio more. I also don't look at this roster though. I've the shot creation issues on offense were, were a problem last year, uh, particularly in the playoffs. And since I kind of expected that to me, the fact that they haven't really just plummeted out of the West and, and that, uh, their defense hasn't been great, but they're still kind of hovering around the top 10 despite these wonky rotations. I can be talked into giving them a C, maybe maybe a C minus. I went with a D plus. Um, I just I just feel like they've underperformed. And even I was a guy who was skeptical about all the preseason hype on this team. Uh, but there's some things that are just really head scratchers at this point. I don't. I mean, the patience paid off last year, sticking with Rubio, Favors, and Gobert in the starting lineup. Um, but if you want to make the playoffs this season, I'm just not sure you can be patient until the end of January or the beginning of February to figure out whether or not Rubio is going to have another like second half uh, crazy closing kick to the season. That was an interesting alliteration. <laughs> <laughs> I Because now there's 14 competitive teams in the Western Conference. Um, which is just crazy. I thought at least Sacramento and Phoenix would be bad. Uh, it looks now like that maybe the only real pushover in the conference is Phoenix. So you've got this night-to-night gauntlet in the Western Conference, and I'm just not sure that you can work through something like Rubio's weird first half of his career, or first half of seasons thing um, this particular season. If you look at the first half compared to the second half of Rubio seasons for his whole career. It's really weird that <laughs> it takes him like two or three months to figure out how to shoot every season. And even figuring out how to shoot for him is generally not great. I mean, he, he shot out of his mind at the end of last year. So who knows if that even happens again. So the lineup stuff is, is very strange to me. Um, here's my, uh, here's my key stat for them. You ready for this? Oh yes. And that's something I should have had. We're going to try and come up with a, key stat or just a stat that stands out to us for each and every team but yes I, I am ready so their defense has recovered uh, a little bit it started off worse than the seventh place that it's in now uh, but I think it still could be better and I think one of the reasons their defense is so bad is they are fourth worst in the NBA in turnover percentage and they're they've given up the fourth most points allowed off turnovers um, and the way that that affects the defense obviously is they are giving teams uh, advantages on tons of possessions. One thing that this sort of over-intricate offense does is it starts a lot of possessions with the guard passing to a big, like five feet outside the three-point line. Uh, and teams have clearly scouted it because they're now just running up and picking that pass off and going to score a layup. Um, and they continue to do these things that are just, I think, a little bit too intricate when I think a simple pick and roll with Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert might be all you need on some of these possessions. And they they have a guy who's been kind of turnover happy his whole career in Rubio. Um, Ingles is, actually has a pretty high turnover percentage for his career. So I think if they want to get back to the like really, really top of the NBA type defense, they're going to have to take care of the ball a little bit better. Yeah, that, that seems fair. And what, what was your – did you give your grade for them at the beginning? Uh, D plus. That's almost, the plus is almost just – Based off your analysis, it seems like a little bit. I of think it's funny. I I love to add pluses and minuses to these things. Do you, as a wrap up, do you think that they're done trading this year? 
and that they're going to, like you said, they were kind of patient with the whole Rubio favors Gobert thing last year, or does this, because they're not a team that really makes these big in-season moves normally, so do you think that the Corver trade might be a signal that um, that they're open to doing more things in the, in the upcoming months? I think they'll still be poking around uh, the trade market for the next couple of months. And traditionally, Utah wasn't a big in-season move type team, but it, Dennis Lindsay's been a little bit more aggressive than previous regimes. Like he made the the Jay Crowder deal last year. He was, I think, he was here for the Ennis Cantor trade mid-season, and now he's made this one with Kyle Korver. Um, and I, I, I don't think this roster is still quite right. So I would, I would be surprised if they're not at least still looking around. Um, that would, so I gave them a C, you gave them a D plus. I figured you would be harder on them than I would. Uh, that brings us to the San Antonio Spurs. They're they rank according to clean the glass 12th in offensive efficiency, 25th in defensive efficiency and 23rd in net rating. They are one game under 500 after getting destroyed by the Minnesota Timberwolves as we record this at 10 and 11. I was in charge of the key stat for this one. So do you want to give your grade first? Yeah, I gave them a C. Um, I don't. I don't think that we should have expected much more out of this roster, and maybe that should play into the grade the team that 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 was built for this. But they were put in kind of a hard situation with Kawhi Leonard essentially um, quitting <laughs> last season. <laughs> it's kind of funny, but there have been multiple star players over the last couple of years now that have basically said, "Yeah, I'm just not going to play under this contract until you send me to another team." Um, so I think they did fairly well, given the circumstances. DeMar DeRozan has been pretty good for them. But if you just look at that roster objectively, I I, I didn't expect it to be much better than a, a team that was competing for a 500 record. So I think they're right around where I thought they would be. Um, I, I, I gave them – I wasn't much harder. I gave them a C-, minus, but I'm still just – I think they could do more or at least be doing more to, to try and make up the clear talent variance that exists. Um, I have a few key stats for them, so I don't mean to really just overload, but they're, they're just defensive regression, as was sort of predicted. is just it's mind-melting to really look at. So last year, they were – this is all according to Clean the Glass. They were 12th in the frequency of shots allowed at the rim. This year, they're 19th. Last year, they were 5th in rim protection overall, opponent field goal percentage there. This year, they're 22nd. Last year, um, they defended the corner three. They're not allowing a ton of corner threes this year, but last year they were number one in corner three defense in opponent field goal percentage allowed there. This year, they're 14th. And I don't think we can expect them to be any better when you look at the personnel. They are running some dual big lineups, even when they kind of have these Rui Gay at the four, uh, they're not super mobile, and Marcus Aldridge can be fine as a standstill rim protector, but he's not really um, suited to just roam around the perimeter. And so I get those struggles, but so you go over to the offensive end to me, why aren't you doing more to kind of just make the this transition on LaMarcus Aldridge to this new era of DeMar DeRozan easier? And what I'm really talking about is Aldridge's shooting numbers are better with DeRozan on the court. And we're talking about the Spurs are hovering around the top 10 in offense. Hovering around top 10 in offense, if you're going to be bad on defense, isn't enough. You need to be elite there. And DeRozan has 
what he's really done is he's lightened LaMarcus Aldridge's workload without making LaMarcus Aldridge's job any easier. Um, last year, and it seems like to me the degree of difficulty that Aldridge's shots are just catching up with him, almost two-thirds of his look came when a defender was inside four feet of him, and he shot 57.7% in those situations. That's down to about the percentage of his shots that are being contested is down to about 60%. This year, he's shooting only 44% on them, where he was shooting um, a ridiculous percentage on fadeaways last year. I think his turnaround fadeaways were at 46.2%. He's under 40% there this year. And it just seems like cramped spacing is kind of the culprit to where, yes, these are kind of the same shots that DeMarcus Aldridge was taking last year, but they're even more tightly contested than they were it's just easier to double him to kind of to kind of just clump defenses together when you don't have not even just a ton of three-point threats but three-point volume which is my final stat for them take more damn threes I'm just I know Greg Popovich doesn't like them and I know you don't look at this roster and say wow they have a ton of shooters but they're 28th in three-point attempt rate and they're third in three-point percentage so you're making enough of these threes to at least justify jacking more and I'm again I know it's easy to say just force it but that's a way the Nets have kind of done it that's a way to make up a talent variance on a daily basis and I'd like to see the Spurs just adapt a little bit better than they have and so while I think it's fair to say they're probably right where a lot of people expect them to be I do feel like they've they've underachieved relative to what they could do I totally agree uh with everything you said there, I actually was looking at their three-point percentages the other day, and they got a bunch of guys who can shoot. Like Bryn Forbes, 45% from three. Patty Mills, 39. Davis Bertans, 31. 41. Um, Rudy Gay, 47. Um, Dante Cunningham, 47. And his will probably fall off. But um, Pau Gasol's only taken seven this year. I would just have him spotting up for three all the time. He's He's been a great three-point shooter over the last few years. Well, They've he's got done a- forever now, right? He's... Uh, they he has a fracture. It was like it wasn't even oh, reported. I, it was a re- yeah. Greg Popovich was asked about it, um, and so he has. A, I think he has a fracture in his foot, and so we don't know when he's even gonna come back. But he always should have been shooting more threes. I think have Lamarcus Aldridge take threes. Seriously, I thought when they first got Lamarcus Aldridge, I thought maybe he'll take a. I don't know why I thought this because Popovich has been anti threes for years now, um, but I thought maybe he'll his volume will tick up. I mean, there's a bunch of guys here who should be shooting more threes. Um, yeah, and by how it's all, it was a stretch fracture in his left foot. Yeah, I just looked it up on Roto World, too. I don't know how I missed that. Um, it was, they didn't, I knew he was out with a foot injury, but yesterday it was, I saw this from a few of San Antonio's beat writers. Greg Popovich was asked about Pau Gasol, and then he just said that. But I, I'm just wondering if no one asked yesterday? when he said anything. That's interesting. Um, so, yeah, I'm with you. Take more threes. Um, <laughs> Make up for for some of that for some of those issues that you have at least offensively. And we're talking about another team that doesn't make in season trades, but it might be time to start viewing. Pau is pretty good for them when he plays, but it might be time to start viewing his contract and that six point seven partial guarantee as a means of taking on more money that could possibly help you. You know, maybe build uh, a trade for Otto Porter, maybe even a Harrison Barnes could help this team and. That's not great money to take back, but you have, assuming you don't waive Aldridge in the final year of his deal, you don't have DeRozan or Aldridge coming off the books in either of the next two summers anyway, and it might just be time to start looking at that. That contract still blows my mind. 
that they <laughs> gave him the extension that they did. That I had guess. to just be because they thought they were going to get meetings with Chris Paul when he opted out, and it was just an under-the-table thing. Because there's that made no sense. Zero. Yeah, it was very odd. We are on to the Sacramento Kings, the 10-10 and 10 at this moment. 500 Sacramento Kings who no longer look like a punchline. They are 22nd in offensive efficiency, 18th in defensive efficiency, 24th in net rating. I was also in charge of the key stat for this team. So, Andy, what did you give them? I gave them an A. Um, and their their uh, defensive, offensive, and net ratings are a little bit worse than I would have expected, 22, 18, and 24. But this is a team that I, like I said earlier in this podcast, I thought this uh, team and the Suns were the only pushovers in the conference, and they haven't been that. They've they've been competitive, uh, as evidenced by their 500 record. Now, there's still a decent chance that they will uh, regress and and make their way towards uh, surefire lottery pick status. But uh, so far, and, and if I'm just looking at the first 20 games, I think they have wildly overachieved. Um, the leap that De'Aaron Fox has made this season um, – it's just crazy to me. I, I I certainly hadn't like given up on him after last year, but I wouldn't have expected jump from twelve points to eighteen, from four and a half assists to almost eight. Um, I wouldn't have expected a three point percentage to go from thirty one to thirty eight. Uh, he looks very calm, controlled uh, in the pick and roll. He I think for a guy as fast as he is, and a lot of people talk about his speed, I think he's really good at knowing when to use it and knowing when to sort of dial it back a little bit. Um, a guy that I've been paying attention to for a couple of years now and Buddy Heald has been amazing <laughs> this season. He's averaging almost 19 points, shooting 45% from three. Um, I think we could maybe start talking to him about him as one of the better two guards in the NBA. Um, Bogdan Bogdanovich has come back now and he looks pretty good with those two guys. Willie Cauley-Stein has looked good. The Nemanja Bialica signing that we all kind of laughed at when it happened has turned out to be <laughs> a really, really good fit for them. Uh, even Bagley's played pretty good in the last couple games. So there, there's a lot to like with the Sacramento Kings. Um, and I think generally the reason I gave them an A is just because they're a lot better than I thought they would be. I gave them a B plus. So I wasn't far behind you. And I could have gone higher just because we're, we're grading these relative to expectations. My whole thing is just, it, it is Dave Yeager and the front office on the same page? And just the report um, from Yahoo Sports a couple of weeks back where he doesn't really want to play the young guys as much as he is. And Bagley's been playing more um, over the past, in recent weeks. So maybe the front office and the head coach are aligned. But just to have that drama to where that report leaked out, that was two classic kinks to kind of ruin this yeah. onset Cinderella run by them. I agree with everything else you've said about them. Uh, De'Aaron Fox is the focus of my key stat. The, the improvement on his three-point per shooting is nuts. And now that we're on the at the quarter pole, this isn't something that we have to look at as this aberration. It, it seems like it could be closer to a new normal and not. And so I looked up every player this season who has attempted at least 30 pull-up three-pointers. And here is every player shooting better than 40% on those looks. Stephen Curry, which is absurd because he's only played 12 games, and of course he's taken 54 pull-up three-pointers already. Blake Griffin which is surprising. Eric Bledsoe, also a little surprising. Justin Holiday, he's going to be super fun to watch the trade deadline. Future Jazz member Tim Hardaway Jr., LeBron James, Luka Doncic, Joe Ingles, J.J. Redick, and De'Aaron Fox. That is, 
that's serious improvement for someone that you wouldn't even have wanted to have taken a pull-up three-pointer last year for any other reason than the fact that you just wanted him to get reps in. So it's if he's if he's going to really be the best point guard of his draft class, and right now I think without question he is when you look at uh, how everyone else is faring around the NBA, that's going to be big time for them. And you talk about Buddy Heald's improvement, um, but again, Magdanovich is still good. Those are three guys that where where you have De'Aaron Fox as an actual cornerstone and Heald and Bogdanovich as guys who actually complement him. Now you've laid the groundwork for something. Willie Cauley-Stein has played well for most of this year. Uh, you have Marvin Bagley. A lot of people have given up on Scala BCA, and judging by his playing time, I think the Kings have two. What will Harry Giles turn into? So if you kind of hit on one of those four bigs, like long-term, because we don't know if they're going to keep Willie Cauley-Stein, that really does set them up nicely even though they don't have their own draft pick this year yep i agree with you on all that that brings us to the portland trailblazers uh according to cleaning the glass they are seventh in offensive efficiency 20th in defensive efficiency 11th in net rating 13 and 8 as we speak you are in charge of the key stat for them so i'll go first in the grade i gave them an a minus I had them written out of the playoff race, not that they wouldn't before the season started, not that they wouldn't have hung around, but based off how they've played in certain games this year, um, once again, playing really well at home, they look like the, the team that could really just win out that tight Western Conference gaggle chase for the second or the third seed or whatever it may be. The, the offense looks fantastic on most nights. Uh, the we're recording this after they just barely beat the Orlando Magic on the road, which was just, I don't know if you saw the ending to that game. It was just so bizarre. McComb and Lillard missed a bunch of free throws. The Magic couldn't inbound the ball at points. They were turning it over in crunch time like crazy. It was just such a weird end. Uh, the Blazers' defense isn't great. I wonder if they should be, like on nights where they almost lost to Orlando, whether Zach Collins should really be more of the go-to big man in crunch time for them. But you look at where they stand relative uh, to the rest of the Western Conference. You look at how Damian Lillard has essentially improved yet again this season, and they seem like they belong in that solid playoff tier now rather than that fringe postseason squad. And and again, there, there's a fine line, but the fact that they've crossed it this soon when I think many, including myself, maybe you, I, I can't remember, had them outside the playoff bubble, that impresses me. Yeah, if I didn't have them outside, I certainly had them sort of um, on the fence because that that was a team that I could have seen fall out, and I I do think they're fairly solidly in there. Although I don't, I think the Warriors might be the only team I could say are like a surefire playoff team in the West. Um, the rest of the conference is just such a mess. I gave them <clears throat> an A minus as well. Uh, I could probably be topped into something a little lower because they haven't like overwhelmed me with how good they've been, but they have been, you know, solid. Um, 11th in net rating, top 10 offense, um, continue to just be this really effective uh, regular season team. My stat for them is kind of uh, interesting. I, I don't know if you'll see this one coming, although I did have it like a variation of it in a stat thread a couple weeks ago. Do you remember um, when they signed Evan Turner, we talked about them being like a mini Golden State with Turner as kind of their Draymond, a guy who can't shoot, but he can set the table for others and just more, you know, catch and shoot looks for Lillard, Lillard and McCollum. Um, 
it seems like it's kind of working a little bit this season. When when those three are on the floor, Portland is plus 10.9 points per 100 possessions. Um, when Lillard and McCollum are on the floor without Turner, Portland is plus 0.6 points per 100 possessions. So they've been better when that trio was playing. Their effective field goal percentage as a team is about a point and a half better. Not a not a huge difference, but it is an improvement when Turner's on the floor with those two. Um, so I just think it's interesting that they have – it seems like they have figured out his role finally on this team. He he has a little bit more of a playmaking load when Lillard and McCollum are off the floor. Um, but generally speaking, they have been a much, much better team when those three guys play together. Their defense – their defensive standing rather to me is, is just so bizarre because they still force a ton of long mid range shots. Uh, they're not particularly terrible at the rim. They're allowing fewer looks there than they were. They're actually allowing a higher frequency of looks at the rim than they were last season, but that ranks uh, better league wide overall, according to cleaning the glass. Uh, the rim defense has been not great compared to last year. They were allowing 55.4%. Uh, shooting at the rim compared to 61.4% this year, but that, again, isn't a bottom-feeding mark. Is it just their three-point defense at this point um, and how they defend that where they're inviting not only long mid-rangers, but it opens up uh, teams to take more threes? And if if guys are used to pulling up um, off the dribble from beyond the arc, I guess that's where the Blazers are just most vulnerable with their defense because I was I just expected them to be better than kind of flirting with a bottom 10 ranking in that department. Yeah, I probably would have expected that too. And that's another thing when they have that, those three guys on the floor, their defensive rating is actually a hundred. So they're the, the big difference um, when he plays is, is defense. So maybe uh, just finding more minutes for that trio. And I, like you said, maybe more time for Collins because he's been a really good rim protector for them. Um, I think they can rehab that defensive rating a little bit. And it's real. I mean, their, their half court defense seems to be the problem anyway, too, which I guess is encouraging because they're, they're mostly fine at warding off transition opportunities, even if they're not great there. So that's just something to watch, and, it, and it's bizarre. Uh, we are on to the Phoenix Suns. I believe you were also in charge of the key stat for them, or at least I hope, because I do not have one. Uh, 28th in offensive rating, 28th in defensive rating, 29th in net rating, a robust 4-17. and 17. I gave them a D. Just because, first of all, congratulations to them after ranking dead last in all three of those categories last year. They're they're in position to maybe possibly do so again. So props to them. I'm just giving them a D. I've some of the stuff they're running on offense has been okay. Uh, DeAndre Ayton is good. Devin Booker has made some strides as a playmaker. They still need to give him help. Mikael Bridges um, is. It looks like he was a nice pickup for them in that trade with Philadelphia. I don't understand why Trevor Ariza is still second on the team in minutes per game. And yeah, this crazy. team's just weird lack of direction. You you wave Isaiah Kanan, who had started more games through a point guard than anyone else on the team at the time. It's But then again, you look at TJ Warren, and he's been shooting the lights out from three. So you like that. There have just been developments. However, I would like to see Josh Jackson play more minutes on a more consistent basis. I think he's gotten over the past couple games more minutes than he was. I'd like to see the milk Eliakobo more. I, I just this team is just so damn confusing to me. And after the off season they had, where you let Ryan McDonough go through a bulk of it, then can him. You acquire Ryan Anderson, who was shooting under twenty three percent 
from beyond the arc this year and just 32.1% overall. It's just, I I don't, he shouldn't even just, he shouldn't be getting, I, I don't understand it at all. Like, I just don't get this team. And they're, they've made, like, some switches to the point where, okay, Ryan Anderson clearly doesn't factor in with them anymore. Ever since he returned from the, I think it was a lower back problem or, or it was something, and he just, he's getting, he's racking up DNPs. That's a good call for them to make. But it just makes you wonder, what were they thinking in the first place during this offseason? And where is this whole Trevor Ariza thing going to end? I would think it's a buyout, but is some team that he maybe wouldn't sign with after he clears waivers willing to trade for him? Is Phoenix willing to take on long-term money? Or are they going to hope that the fact that they can clear more cap space will then help them get closer to the playoffs next year? Because you have Devin Booker talking about forming a super team in Phoenix, it's just this this franchise is still all over the place to me. And I'm my grade is probably just overly harsh because a lot of players are performing really well. Again, I, I think Devin Booker's been good as their de facto point guard, and people still remain too harsh on him when they judge him uh based on efficiency alone at the offensive side. And uh excuse me, I'm tripping on my, my words here. And TJ Warren's just development as a shooter, it's all good things. I just would have expected just more direction here, and it still seems like they're existing in in too much confusion. So I'm with you on all that. Um, this is not my key stat, but I just wanted to back up what you were saying about Ariza. When D- this is on cleaning the glass, when Aiton, Booker, and Bridges are all on the floor, uh, Phoenix has played 422 possessions with those three on the floor. They are plus 9.4 points per 100 possessions. That's in the 90th percentile when those three guys play. Um, when Aiton, Booker, and Ariza play, so same alignment, you're just swapping Michael Bridges out for Trevor Ariza, 763 possessions, minus 6.8 points per 100 possessions, 20th percentile. Um, it doesn't make sense for a bunch of reasons. One, all the stuff that you laid out, just about the fact that they need to be playing these young guys more together. And two, they're just better when Michael Bridges plays. Um, And I think after 20 games of seeing that, you should be able to (laughs) make that adjustment. I don't know if they're just showcasing Ariza for a trade at this point, Um, but you need to see how the young guys look together and they play better as a team when they're all on the floor. So that needs to be done. my actual stat that I came up with for him before we started recording, um, I'm going to actually ask you a question for this one. Can you guess which two players on the Phoenix Suns have an above average box plus minus? There's only two. Man, I'm surprised there's even two. <laughs> I'm going to say, I'm going to say Devin Booker and Mikael Bridges. DeAndre Ayton and Rashawn Holmes. All right, then. <laughs> and Aiton's been really good for them all season long. Um, I put up a Twitter poll the other day, Dev, would you take DeAndre Aiton or, or Devin Booker if you could only have one? And I expected Booker to win the poll, but I thought Aiton would get more votes than he did. I think it ended up being like 75-25 for Booker. Um, Aiton's been a lot better than I thought he would be. And Devin Booker, it's it's maybe not fair because, like you said, he probably needs some more help. But these here, here are a few numbers where he is worse than last season. Uh, box plus minus. Win trips per 48 minutes, um, true shooting percentage, uh, offensive box plus minus, defensive box plus minus. Like you said, he's gotten better as a playmaker. Um, his assist percentage is up quite a bit, and he's averaging about seven assists per 36 minutes. So I think that's encouraging. 
Um, and maybe his numbers would tick up more if he would play with the right guys. Uh, but overall, I just I just think it's interesting that his his efficiency has taken a little bit of a hit this season. There's obviously plenty of time for it to recover. But just in these first 20 games, I think you could make an argument that Aiden's been their best player. I just, I mean, Devin Booker's role has changed so much compared to last year. Usage is up again, and his true shooting percentage is basically within a point of where it was last year. And it's, it's just... I to me I don't think if you want to just go by the numbers or the advanced metrics which is fine I guess it could be Aiton but just what they're asking Devin Booker to do is is almost lot. unfair and yet it's sensible like kudos to Igor Kokoshkov for putting Devin Booker at point guard from the jump now and I'm sure that's part of the reason they got rid of Isaiah Kanan because their starting lineup at the moment is Booker Bridges Ariza Warren and, and Aiton which by the way, has been an effective lineup, uh, outscoring opponents by 4.5 points per 100 possessions, and they're they're really doing it more so on the defensive end uh, with that group, which is also impressive. So I, I I remain, I used to be, or I don't even know if I used to be, but I was pretty hard on Devin Booker to begin with, but just asking the, the la- him to assume the role that he is amid just the lack of consistency and amid the turnover that this roster has experienced since he's he's gotten there. I still, I'm almost more impressed that his true shooting percentage hasn't plummeted amid this role, or I'm, I'm more impressed that you haven't seen his turnover percentage increase by like five percentage points um, with, with what he's asked to do with Phoenix. So it's, Aiton's been good too. And we, I think we were just probably down on him entering the season in the sense that we, we propped up Luka Doncic a lot at, at his expense, at everyone else's expense, really. So he's been great for them. And there there are some interesting pieces here long-term. I just don't – again, it's, I've liked some of the stuff they've done, and it takes you know kudos again to Kakashkov for not playing Ryan Anderson anymore, but I'm just not ready to give them a, a Phoenix a pass there just yet. Maybe that'll change as we get to the halfway point, though. I don't know if I said my grade for them. I, I did give them a C just because I didn't expect much more from this uh, team than what they've given. But I'm, I think you should just play all the young wings with DeAndre Ayton. That's my overall takeaway. I'm with you there. Oklahoma City Thunder are next up. Uh, they are 19th in offensive efficiency, first in defensive efficiency, fifth in net rating, 13-7 and seven overall. I gave them an a minus which I actually shouldn't be giving it because I was in charge of the key stat, but that's basically the reason I gave them the A-, minus. but I'll, I'll throw it to you to explain your grade. I gave them an A. Um, first place on defense, obviously that's that's pretty Without important. Robertson is ridiculous. Yeah, seriously, no Robertson yet. Um, they've gotten good minutes out of some of those younger wings. One of the reasons I gave them an A um, is Russell Westbrook has missed eight games, and they're still – uh, would you say fifth place in net rating? Um, that's to me, that's really impressive. And I think that Dennis Schroeder deal, I liked it at the time, but to <laughs> turn what was just a terrible, terrible situation in Carmelo Anthony into Dennis Schroeder, who, who might be one of the best, or he, I think he is one of the best backup point guards uh, in the league. And it's interesting to see how they've used him in tandem with Russell Westbrook too, to be able to survive Westbrook missing almost half the season and still putting up the kind of numbers that they have. I think that's really impressive. Um, Schroeder in under 30 minutes a game is averaging about 17 and five, 17 points, five assists, shooting 35% from three. Um, 
35% from three is obviously not great, but that's enough to, to make a defense respect a guy out there. Um, I, I, to me, that's, that's the overarching reason that I have them uh, at an A's is if they can survive Russell Westbrook absences, they're in really good shape. I agree with everything you said. They are still dead last in wide open three point percentage. And that's just, I know they're playing lineups that don't have a ton of shooters yeah, that's problematic. <laughs> it's, I'm, I refuse to give anyone an A who's shooting, I, I think it's 30.4%. Uh, and I closed the window before, and I actually do not know why I closed the window. That was that was also stupid. Oh, no, it's right, it's right here. The, they're 30.2% on wide-open three-pointers. The 29th-place Detroit Pistons are more than two points better at 32.3%. And it's it's just, I, I again, I know they don't have shooters, and that they've, they're first in defensive rating without... Robertson is astounding and and super impressive. Russell Westbrook has missed time, and and you're still so comfortably above 500. Their offensive rating over the last 10 games, by the way, has has been better. They're 13th, which if you're going to be first in defensive rating is solid. If you're not hitting your wide-open three-pointers, though, it's really just – it's hard for me to give them a a near-perfect grade or or that A. And it's really – I don't know how they – necessarily they aren't going to fix it in house it doesn't seem terrence ferguson every time he has these games where he makes threes he just then goes on a tear where he misses them alex abrinas has been wildly disappointing from beyond the arc this year under 30 percent patrick patterson under 31 percent it's hamadou diallo it's he gets minutes but he's also shooting under 27 percent from three jeremy grant's been a nice surprise even dennis schroeder's been a nice surprise at 34.9 percent to me on his current three-point volume they need more they need more shooting or at least to be able to hit the ones where they're uncontested and that they can't do that this year and that they knew this was an issue heading into the season because it plagued them last season as well I I, again I'm not giving them a perfect grade just yet a minus though because they've been absolutely spectacular I think the light at the end of the tunnel for that is you got to imagine a Brianis Pulls his up from 29.9. He's not going to finish the season there. Paul George probably comes up a little bit from 35. Patrick Patterson maybe comes up from 30 and a half. Um, there's some room for improvement there. But, but generally speaking, this is a roster that doesn't have a ton of shooting. You're absolutely right there. So I, I think that's a very fair criticism. Um, our final team for today is the New Orleans Pelicans. They are fourth in offensive efficiency, 23rd in defensive efficiency. 10th in net rating, and they are 11 and 11 at 500 as we speak. I was in charge of the stat for them as well, so I'm going to throw it to you, Bales. I was actually, uh, while we were talking about the Thunder, I was really going back and forth about maybe dropping my grade for the Pelicans. Uh, I gave them a B. The reason I'm hesitant on that is they've just been really inconsistent. They started 4 and 0. Then they lost six in a row. Then they won three in a row. Or then they won six of seven. Then they lost four in a row again. Um, just really sort of a roller coaster season for this team right now. But I'm, I'm going to give them a B just because I think their talent at the top is, to me, really strong still. And the fact that they've missed their starting point guard for most of this season and, and basically survived that, I think, is a plus, too. Alfred Payton being out hasn't helped them. Um but they're big guys with with Drew Holiday. They have four really, really solid players. 
Um, I don't think I need to extol the virtues of Anthony Davis. I'm, I'm pretty sure most people understand how good he's been. Who is that? Uh, <laughs> Drew Holiday quietly averaging 20 points and nine assists a game. Um, I wonder how many people realize that he's putting up huge numbers and his, that's another guy whose three point percentage could go up. He's shooting just 27.9% on threes this year. So there's room for improvement. Um, Meritich is averaging 19 points and 11 rebounds, um, shooting 37% from three Randall in 26 minutes a game is averaging 18 and nine. Um, I love that Alvin Gentry has gone like full, uh, mid 2000s sons on this team and just ratcheted up the pace. I love seeing the gaudy numbers that a team like this can put up. Um, they're a fun team to me. I just think they need to get a little bit more consistent. I gave them a B as well, and I would be inclined to go a little higher before I went lower just because, as you kind of pointed out, they've dealt with injuries. Alfred Payton's missed 16 games, and the starting lineup with him has been absolute fire this season. Again, it's only six games, but they're trying to follow that model that helped with Drew Holiday last year when they when they had Rondo, and that was kind of really his value, even if the numbers, the, the aggregate of numbers didn't reflect that. And to not have him uh, has an option hurts, especially because he was playing well, better than Rondo. Again, six games is six games is six games. I get it, I get it, I get it. But Anthony Davis has missed four games, and I can't even remember... Uh, the opponent at this point, but he was injured during the game, and it looked like he not that he stopped trying, but he, he wasn't even able to uh, play at close to full speed by that point. And then you go over to their wing situation. It makes sense that they are where they are um, on the defensive end, uh, hovering around the bottom seven. It's a wonder to me that they're almost not worse, uh, or it's, it's almost a wonder to me that their offense is still good too because of their when you look at their wing situation. They're starting Wesley Johnson right now, and when he plays the three, they're allowing 115 points per 100 possessions. Now, the catch-22 there is, though, when he's off the court, they're they're allowing 110.4 points per 100 possessions. So it's not like they have this better option there. Darius Miller isn't a great defender. You can play Holiday or more at the three, but they're going to give up size there as well. And so my key stat for them is the time that they've spent with Anthony Davis, Randall, and Miritich on the floor. Yeah. According to Clean the Glass, 72 possessions, a net rating of 19.6, offensive rating of 115.3, defensive rating 95.7, which would be uh, the, 90, the 99th percentile. I don't know if that defensive rating can, can hold. Randall's been a better defender over the past two years than he was at the the start of his career. Still, when you have those three bigs really on the court, I, again, I don't know, even if you play them with Moore and Holiday, whether that could hold. But I want to see more of that lineup. Holiday, Moore, Miritich, Randall, and Davis. I get that you can't start with it. Otherwise, your bench would just crater. So just get there at this point. If, if your wing situation is, I, I would call it dire. It's there. And they've if you weren't going to go for a defensive wing on the trade market, you were going to prioritize shooting because they're not, uh, they're not a terrible shooting team, but they're not the best floor spacing squad either. So you could have went after Kyle Korver, who's now off the market and new Orleans to my point is 20th and three point efficiency this year. It's, there's no real solution there Uh, again, unless they're going to go to the trade market or maybe they'll get lucky in the buyout market until then, let's just see more of those, three big combinations and what what happens. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Um, I would love to see more of those three guys on the floor. And, and if, 
if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. But this is the time to try it. And I think theoretically, that lineup does have enough shooting. I think Drew Holiday is a better shooter than 28%. I think Anthony Davis's 33% is enough to at least keep people honest. Um, Miritich is definitely going to keep people honest with his shooting. And, and each one more, who I didn't mention earlier, is averaging almost 16 points and shooting 46% from three. Um, so he's he's one of the best shooters in the league right now. So I think you have just enough shooting to make that work. And it's certainly, I mean, it's not like Julius Randle, like you laid out the case. It's not going to be that much worse than what's going on with Leslie Johnson. So I'm all in on that. Try it a little bit more. It's uh, My concern for them, though, would have been, and by the way, for Etwan Moore, I talked about this with, I also talked about the three big lineup with Mason Ginsburg at the time the Pelicans have yet to use it. Uh, from Bourbon Shot. So if you haven't checked out that Pelicans podcast, do so. Etron Moore is shooting 46.7% on pull-up three-pointers and 50.9% on pull-up jumpers in general. And he's attempting more than 2.5 pull-up jumpers a game. He's been... ESPN's Bobby Marks picked him as the most improved player this year before the season started. I don't think he's going to win, but that pick seemed like an outlier, and it, it definitely does not anymore. My final question, though, before we get out of here, are you worried about the defense holding up long-term with those three bigs on the floor. Again, the numbers say they've been good. And if you have Holiday and Moore, Holiday is an all-NBA defender. Davis is an all-NBA defender. M- maybe it could, but is, is that is that really just the only concern at this point or the argument against playing Miritich, Randall, and Davis more time? Yeah, I think that's got to be the argument. And I can't imagine they would stay around a 95 defensive rating. But even if it got 10 points worse, that's it's still a comfortable improvement over what they have in Wesley Johnson. So I, I think it's absolutely worth a shot. That was a fantastic way to put that. <laughs> um, all right. I think we've wrapped up all the teams that we wanted to talk about today. Um, as a recap, before I get us out of here, I gave the Jazz a D plus, the Spurs a C, the Kings an A, the Blazers an A minus, the Suns a C, the Thunder an A, and the Pelicans a B. You gave the Jazz a C, the Spurs a C minus, the Kings a B plus, the Trailblazers an A minus, the Suns a D, the Thunder an A minus, and the Pelicans a B. Um, if you want to scream at us about any of those grades or any of our takes from this podcast, you can find Dan on Twitter at Dan Favalli, F-A-V-A-L-E. I'm at Andrew D. Bailey. The show is at Hardwood Knox. The sponsor is at NBA underscore math. As always, we encourage you to uh, rate and review the show. Subscribe if you haven't already. Uh, tell your friends and family to subscribe. They will forever be grateful for that suggestion. Forever. Um, yes, they will They will pull you aside at a family party five years in the future and say thank you for recommending this podcast to me. It's really changed my life. Um, until next time, we leave you with the shout-out to Ben Audrey and Kyle Anderson. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.